You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode. Uh, and what a week it's been after, uh, you know, last week's extended episode because uh, Jeff and the rest of us rambled on at great length because we didn't have any great news worth discussing. This week it's all gone mad, mad. Mark Gurman has opened his mouth and everybody's taken it as gospel and... Apparently, the ARM Mac is here. It's already sitting on my lap, apparently. But uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. I am joined by uh, Nick. Hello, Nick. Hello, Simon. Yeah, it, it's been a bit bonkers, hasn't it? Yeah, so lots lots to <laughs> talk about. everywhere. Lots to talk about <laughs> this week. I'm joined by James. Hello, Jim. Hello there. Uh, is, is, this, is this a scoop you've got here you're telling us? <laughs> and we have our special guest uh, I'm very, very pleased to welcome back to the show Carolina Milanese uh, of Creative Strategies and the Tech Pinions crew So welcome back, Carolina Thank you for having me well, It's an absolute pleasure And um, this was pure uh, serendipity, really We organised uh, this date a couple of weeks ago and uh, as I say, Mark German has opened his mouth and it's all gone mad. Um, we'll get to that in a little bit, I guess. Um, our original intent, of course, was to um, ask, to some extent, your opinion on this whole, uh, you know, pandemic and how it's affected Apple. So, um, obviously, there's a whole list of things we can talk about. But, you know, so I know time is pressing. So I, I'm, you know, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not asking you to go into great depth here, um, you know. I just wondered what your impression was of how Apple have handled the pandemic. Uh, there, there's been different aspects, I think, that uh, some that we have seen and some that we haven't uh, of how the pandemic affected Apple. I think the one that is uh, the, the most obvious one was uh, the closure of the stores. And, uh, and we saw that from a bottom line perspective when they uh, talked about their earnings season. Uh, a few weeks back, there wasn't really a great impact on sales, proving yet again that although retail is a big part of you know how Apple gets to consumers, is more about uh, the the relationship that they're building through the retail stores, um, the opportunity that they give to consumers to actually see the products and touch them and experience them, uh, and then obviously all the support side of things, but not necessarily just about sales um and uh, and you saw that reflected in their numbers the part of that uh was really impacted it was more uh, the support uh part because obviously they didn't have the ability to uh get your replacement units if you had a problem with you know any of the devices that you had because the stores were closed um but what has been interesting is also how 
that side uh, highlighted the fact that online is doing very well for Apple. And that was a big focus of what Angela did in the tenure um, at Apple, which was really revamping the whole online experience. Um, you know, I, I commented about that uh, back in September when I went through my upgrade on the on the iPhone and, and did that online and it just worked as clockwork. It, it was just it's so well designed and, and thought through that, um, you know, from a consumer perspective, it's, it's a very nice and painless experience, which is basically all we want. Um, and I think that um, coupled with that, there's been obviously the advantage of having a kind of a mature market. And so people are kind of know what they're buying and that's what they, they do. Uh, during the the lockdown, as as you guys call it, uh, we call it sheltering place here. Um, not that the difference um, that there's any difference. We're still at home, basically. Um, they had some some new products uh, launched, and I thought they dealt with that very very well. Um, so the the idea that they they launched the uh, the new iPhone, and they also launched the iPad, and and I, you know, both launches, although you know, subdued compared to what you would normally have, were effective from uh, uh, both delivering the content to people and and getting attention from uh, the press. So I think that worked very well. And the last part is obviously WWDC that is kicking off uh, next week, and we'll see how um, you know how they will they'll deliver. We've had a few other events uh, over the the past few weeks that were online, including Microsoft Built, and so there's a bit of a comparison there to be made. And uh, I think I'm as eager to see how they created the event than not uh, just about the news. And I think the last part that I would comment on as far as the pandemic is is the part that we haven't seen that you know there's been a lot of speculation you you mentioned mark earlier um there's been some some articles in bloomberg around you know when apple uh, park will reopen and um according to his sources uh employees being pressured to go back into uh the office from what i've heard uh, and and seen, given that I live 15 minutes from Apple Park, there's not a lot of activity going on there. Uh, and like everything else, I think that you will see a gradual going back to the office. There are some employees, if you can imagine, people that might be needing access to a lab or you know more creative people that need to be working in a team on something, um, as well as maybe secret projects that cannot be dealt with uh, outside the, the office. All of those will get priority, and and then they will have to uh, anyway follow uh, state. Uh, guidelines. So I've not heard anything specific. I do feel, though, that generally, uh, from a, from a tech industry perspective, um, I, I've heard a lot of rumble as far as um, how different companies have dealt with a pandemic. What people might have also taken a little bit of time to reflect on um, life in general and and options that they might have. Um, and I do think that there's a little bit of a um, reassessing maybe. So we're not looking for, um, you know, where do you want to work 
who do you want to work for? What kind of um, support have you had during the pandemic? And remote work is obviously a, a big, big item um, that everybody's been discussing. And with m- most other companies saying that remote uh, remote work is uh, a strong op- option if you want it as an employee, we haven't really heard Apple talk much about remote work yet. So it'll be interesting to see. Yes. Um, I mean, I did read that piece by uh, Mark saying that, you know, Apple were pressuring um, employees back to work. That doesn't sound to me like a very Apple kind of thing. And all the reports, you know, all the other comments I've seen um, around that kind of agree with you. Uh, I got the impression that Apple were saying if you wanted to go back to the, you know, uh, to the spaceship campus, um for whatever reason, um, you know, it could be any of the reasons you've said. I mean, not everybody copes working at home, you know, or for some people it's not, you know, Absolutely. It's, not it's not ideal. And I'm under, from what I've read, um, and obviously I have no contact in Apple whatsoever, the impression seems to be that Apple are, are saying to employees, if you wish to return to, you know, your office, um, you know, or your lab, then that is now an option uh, rather than, you know, leaning on people. Um, I, I think most companies are probably going to be taking that because, you know, some people are happier working in their office. For example, um, I'm still furloughed because my company have decided that actually at the moment there's not enough work for me to, you know, be called back to the office. Um, I could work from home if they asked me to, but actually... You know, personally, if they ask me to go back to work, I will almost certainly return to my office because it will give me access to a big desk and, you know, um, it would be a lot more comfortable than working in the corner of my living room. And it's not like you plan to work at home. Like most people, we kind of end up, you know, we did it overnight. I've always been working from home and I know how long it took to find the right set up and um you know and, and people didn't have that opportunity right so you, you overnight you were home trying to figure out how to work with maybe your partner working from home and of course here kids are still off school and so you also have the children at home so you know the environment is not really conducive to working from home in a you know in a normal sense no that is also true um, and just going back a little bit to your your uh, you know your mention of the retail stores, it's quite interesting because um, when the you know when Apple released their numbers and we talked about it on this show, uh, we were much of the opinion that it was no surprise that Apple's main sales were not down because, as you say, with the material market, people can go online. People mostly know what they want. What we expected probably took a hit would be the sort of impulse purchases that go along mm-hmm. with going to the store. Yeah. We said, you know, if you go in to buy a new MacBook, you know, a MacBook, be a MacBook Pro or MacBook Air, if you go online, you simply go, right, this is the this is the MacBook I want, these are the specs I want, you, you put your money in, the order is placed, jobs are good. But if you go into a store, there's always the temptation while you're wandering around, isn't there, to say, oh, well, you know, while I'm here, I'll pick up some AirPods Pro or... Um, I'll pick up a, a set of Beats headphones or maybe an Apple Watch strap or some other peripheral. And I, I, we were, you know, of the opinion that that market probably took a big hit, um, what, you know, with the shops being shut down. But um, 
other than that, I thought Apple did remarkably well. Um, so m- moving on a little um, and to deal with uh, Mark German in mind, uh, obviously the ARM Mac rumour is something that's been bubbling away for years and uh, we discuss it quite a lot on this show and I have personally wavered backwards and forwards to Apple will do it or Apple won't do it and this is one reason for and this is one reason against. And um, all of a sudden, uh, you know, the pressure behind this rumour has been building and then Mark Gurman uh, came out on Bloomberg and said Apple are going to announce uh, ARM Max at uh, WWDC on the 22nd. Um, now, he's the only person who's actually, you know, said that he has sources that will, you know, verify this. And yet the whole tech press has gone berserk as if the things are actually here and in our hands and it's gospel. Um, and every tech blog and every tech, uh, you know, opinion maker is rehashing the arguments we've heard for the last five years about, um, you know, why Apple should or shouldn't go to ARM and the challenges and all the rest. Um, so what's your take on that, Carolina? Because to me, it's, although I don't disagree with most of the articles because they're just rehashing the, you know, the things we've talked about for years, why has everybody suddenly gone as if, the, you know, as if the things are actually in our hands? <laughs> I I think it's because, you know, after talking about it for five years, this might be actually it. You know, <laughs> this is the yes, time that this might we be. will actually get it in, in I, our hands. Look, I think I, it's you know, highly I, likely, but I must admit, yeah. I will I will laugh myself into a, you know, apoplexy uh, if Apple don't announce it because all these people are going to have egg on their faces. But <laughs> <laughs> I think it well, probably will happen, but, you know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, I think that there's, um, first of all, there's launch and there's shipping, right? So they might launch it, but it might still not come till next year. You, We don't know, right? Well, I think, so, that's, I, think um, that's, I think that's very likely because um, like when they changed to Intel, you know, they announced at WWDC, but the first Intel Mac didn't ship for what, another eight months or something like that yeah and 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 with the mac there's less um you know it is it, somewhat less sensitive if you like to announce uh way ahead because the cycles are different it's not like the phone so with the phone you usually have a pretty short cycle between when you announce and when you ship because there's other stuff coming because the replacement cycle is shorter because consumer are are more um impacted by other devices that might come out of this is truer on the Android side and not the the, uh, Apple side. But nonetheless, compared to the Mac where um, people will wait, you know, if you if you are upgrading your machine and this is something that you're interested in, uh, it's not like you're going to look at something else. You you either want a Mac or or, you know, you want a PC. And so it doesn't matter what. what um um you know a vendor is gonna is gonna announce because you're kind of set within that ecosystem and and i think that the reason why um i i would say people people are probably 
um, talking about it more than uh, um, than in the past, or or just kind of going back and revisiting uh, what happened. It's not so much the the value of the you know the, the launch why an ARM based um, Mac. Um, you know the, the why is still the same. It raises questions on okay, I'll, so are we gonna see a, a an I, a Mac looks way more like an iPad. And so are the two OSs coming together? That's still the question. Or are we still going to have two different OSs, but from a user experience perspective and therefore from an app point of view, um, you won't notice the difference. And, and that's still the question that remains. But the other side is that that something that we didn't have before is, first of all, Apple beefed up their um, semiconductor team considerably uh, compared to, you know, five years ago when we started talking about this. Um, and we've seen what they've been able to do on the iPhone and the iPad side as far as customizing uh, the CPU and the GPU uh, and and really building an architecture uh, that uh, puts them more in control of the experience that they can deliver through their devices. And I think that's been always the weakest link on the Mac side because uh, they, you know, been out of sync with, with Intel and their processors release compared to um, a DOS and, and, and really not being in control of what you wanted to deliver through DOS because of the limitations of the, of the silicon. And I think that is about time that, you know, Apple gets more control over that. Uh, we also in a market in general in the PC market where silicon diversity is becoming the norm. And so if you even looking at Surface, which in, in my mind is the closest experience to um, a kind of a Mac experience when you're looking at the hardware and the attention to to design and, and all the rest of it. Um, you know, they, they now have Intel, they have uh, Qualcomm on ARM and they have um, uh, AMD. And on the ARM part, you know, having used a, a surf, Surface um, uh, Pro X, it is interesting because there are, there is some performance challenges. Uh, there are some performance challenges, uh, but a lot of those come also with the Windows side of the ecosystem and the apps that, you know, a lot of people, in, especially in, in an enterprise context, are used to to have, which are older apps and, and um, um, you know, things that you, you, you have to uh, run in an emulation for x86. And, and, you know, some of that complexity is not there when you're talking about Mac OS. Yes, they will still have to figure out how they emulate, but um, it, you know, is a more, I guess, a less legacy dependent uh, ecosystem from from a user base perspective. Yeah. Um, and and so I think that's what I'm interested in in seeing how much of a difference that is. And at the same time, what I'm also excited about is the impact that is going to have on PCs because, you know, for so long on the PC side, because of how badly the first time the Surface tried to do something on ARM went uh, with, with Windows RT, um, it, you know, is is people are still hung up on that, you know, and, and getting away from that, you know, how many years on we are and how much progress ARM has, has made uh, on on the silicon 
uh, I still feel that there are people that just cannot think of anything, you know, built on ARM as being true computing. And that's what I'm excited about, why I'm excited about a Mac and see if Apple is able to pull that off and then have a positive impact on the whole ARM ecosystem. I suspect um, Apple will have uh, ARM-based products in the um, research group. I mean, we saw that with uh, the power of PC to Intel. Apple, I think they've been working on uh, Intel computer for about a year before they launched it. Um, so you would think they would be doing the same thing now uh, for ARM computers. But the one thing that's kind of surprised me, um, although we've got all the rumours going about, and, we're all, and we've all discussed, you know, ARM computers and the software that would run on them and compatibility and all this sort of thing. The, the one thing it seems to be missing is uh, any sign of, um, I don't know what department it is in America that deals with wireless products and stuff like that. Um, you would have thought you would have seen some kind of, um, you know, like, like with, the, with the iPhones, you'll they'll put the phone through the system to get tested and all that kind of thing to get passed by um, the, the government bureau. You would have thought you would have seen something about an ARM computer you know, through you, that. I'll tell you what I think about that, Jim, and uh, I'll ask Carolina what she thinks in a second, but with the iPhone, those things are uh, controlled by the, um, I forget what they are, but the radio um, authorities. And you have yeah. to be, you have to be uh, FCC, is it? Anyway, you have you have yeah. to be certified. Yeah. Now, if Apple wanted to keep an ARM uh, Mac quiet, it would be wise for them to simply not um, not do one with a four G or five G chip option. Because is that not the would... idea of an ARM uh, chip? But you can actually do uh, always on, which means you've got to have a wireless chip in it. Yeah, but if, if the, as, as I understand it, if you don't mm -hmm. if you don't have um you know um a mobile phone uh, transmitter yeah. right, mm -hmm. if you just using normal wireless and Bluetooth, you do not have to be certified because those components are already certified. So that basically you could release the first wave of Intel uh, ARM Max, mm -hmm. and then once everybody knows that that's happening, you could then release some which have always on connectivity. Which would have to go through, I think, FCC. Right. What, what do you think about that, Carolina? Well, I I, I see uh, Jim's point about um, connectivity. I mean, the, there's no real point in doing ARM unless you you doing a cellular version, um, and I and that's the other thing is that you know the design is going to be interesting as well because I don't think that they're going to necessarily move everything to to ARM as at least not yet. Um, and obviously ARM is going to be kind of a smaller, more mobile, because that's when you need connectivity. You don't necessarily need cellular if you're always in a kind of an office with, with Wi-Fi. I do think, though, that generally, even for phones, um, there's there's a couple of things. One is that normally when you hear about the phones is actually because they are testing with the carriers and not uh, not necessarily um, you know the the more of the, the kind of a government side. Um, and those happen you know as close as a couple of months before they get on the shelf. So if we are still say six to eight months away, um, we might not. You know, they might not been yeah. getting there yet. That was a 
another thing that just occurred to me as as you were speaking was, of course, actually, if you're announcing now, you could announce the ARM Max, assuming they are coming, and then put them in for FCC approval after you know after you've blown the blown the doors off, as it were. So. Um, yeah, that might that might account for that, Jim. So maybe always right. on yeah. connectivity could be a thing, and they just put them in once you've announced it, which would mm-hmm. be a, another way to stop it leaking out. And those are also the kind of things that they probably that have, um, you know, if they are already at that stage, which I I personally doubt. But those are the kind of things that would have been impacted by the pandemic. Right, because you have to do those kind of things in in a lab in a control environment, and so that's not necessarily being possible uh, while we were all kind of working from home. That that's also true, of course, and uh, of course, you know, the Far East manufacturers. Although I know, you know, after a couple of months, they started opening their factories and going back to manufacturing but i mean there was at what probably would have been a crucial stage of development a shutdown where um you know a lot of the foxconn and and tmsc and and people like that um you know shut a lot of their factories right um interesting interesting um so there we go. Uh, I will. I've got a whole list of links in the show notes, people. Uh, I've picked out the kind of ones that I found were most interesting, and not just rehashing the same old stuff. Uh, I will point out there's a piece by uh, Stephen Sinofsky, which was um, mm-hmm. which was a thread on Twitter, which he then pasted to Medium. Um, uh, he, of course, being famously involved with Windows and the whole Surface thing, um, he makes a, a point which um, I think you might agree with, Carolina, which is that he feels that part of the Surface RT and to some extent the Surface Pro X uh, problems are due to the Windows way of doing it in that, you know, Microsoft never went all in. It was like, here, you can have this ARM thing um, and it will need you devs to do some extra work. But here is also another Surface, uh, which runs, you know, good old-fashioned Windows with 32-bit and all the rest of it, um, which is just allows people to go, well, actually, we can't be bothered. Um, yeah, I, I think that's definitely one aspect of it. And linked to that is um, uh, is <laughs> is the strong foothold that, that, you know, that Windows has in the enterprise where, you, you know, why go through all of that uh, work when, to your point, you also have an Intel version. Yeah. And so that's what you want. I also think, you know, back to RT and now that what is, is very different is, of course, how much we depend on the cloud. And so, you know, back then, having that need of always being connected wasn't really the same as is today. And so, you know, that increased connectivity, the fact that you want a PC or a Mac that is much more like your your phone and your, you know, your iPad um, is something that both consumer and enterprise user really understand. Um, so, you know, the time is different. And I do think that um, from a Windows perspective, they also come a long way from RT um, in uh, in where Windows 10 just is. And, and if you see even what the, the work that they're doing with um, uh, Windows 10X, um, 
you know, that proves how they want to have a more agile um, platform. Oh, yeah, and, uh, most, most definitely. Um, yeah, and so that, I think, is the other big, big difference, which is why I was saying it's going to be easier for Apple to pull this off than uh, than than not from from a windows perspective yeah the other the other thing that um in in our slack group where we were um obviously <laughs> heavily invested in discussing it um there's very much a feeling that the way apple go about things it you know is different from microsoft in a lot of ways and one thing is that when they make a change they tend to go all in they don't you know, there's no prevarication. There's no, well, we can do this or you can have that. It's like, right, we're going down this road and we're going to bet the farm on it. We're going all in and you can come with us or you can basically bugger off. Um, it's much easier to do that when you don't have, the, the first of all, when you're in control of your own hardware and software, right? Um, and that's not the case in the Windows ecosystem. And then when you're not so entrenched in the enterprise. Very much um, so, yeah. So it's, you know, it is it, great to have that flexibility, but I totally agree with you. It's, it's not, you know, it's, it's my way or the highway. <laughs> you don't get an option. <laughs> well, you know, Apple have always been that way. Uh, yes. To be fair. And like it or not, this is what you get. Yeah. This is this is where you're going. But I do feel, and I'm not saying this is Microsoft's fault, because as you point out, there's a lot of, you know, entrenched industrial inertia in the whole Wintel um, yeah. thing, which goes back to, as you say, um, you know, it goes back to enterprise and it goes back to server farms and it goes back to... Uh, data centers and all that and that is something which to a lesser extent impacts apple apple can basically say this is what we're going to do we're going to go all in on it and you know as developers you're coming along from the ride or you're saddling up and heading out and i know you know microsoft to some extent cannot do that um yeah i mean just look at how long they supported um um windows phone uh, and then windows mobile just for the enterprise customers i mm. mean it, it was the only reason why you know they kept and keeping this poor horse that was obviously <laughs> dead for a long 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 time uh going because they didn't want to you know let the enterprise customers um kind of with, with no option microsoft needs to actually say to everybody who uh, has old, you know, old devices running old systems. Uh, this will be the day when we stop supporting you and you will have yeah. to move or you know, die, basically. Because they're, they're, you know, they're still supporting XP and all the rest of the different softwares. You know, a lot of companies still run XP. Uh, I've got one in my work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's a, it's a double-edged sword, though, isn't it, Jim? I mean, the, yeah, the, the in some ways, having the, having the business behind the, all those business customers mm -hmm. yeah. which you're supporting is a good thing for Microsoft because they've got a huge number of people who use their software. Yeah, but it's also um, Millstone as well. But, it, but yeah, but uh, at the same time, you you can't really go around upsetting those people yeah. by saying, okay, well, you know, you know those bits of... Um, old stuff you use that actually your whole business runs on. 
<laughs> well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're not going to support that anymore. So, I mean, I yeah. In some ways, I feel sorry for Microsoft. I do think that things are changing, though, because the environment is changing. You know, as you have Google going more into the enterprise and that's kind of how they operate. They have a bit more of a, um, you know, not quite like Apple, but they, you know, they are a little bit more decisive in in their, well, we're moving on from this. So you have to move on as well. And I think that that flexibility is becoming more part of DOS, which is a good thing. And then I think the environment is changing. And also there's a lot of disruption in enterprise in general. And so, you know, if it's not Microsoft, it's going to be somebody else. And, you know, and, and enterprises seem to be, a bit more definitely from a from a bottom up, not necessarily a top down approach. Um, you know, you have things like Slack that that you know Simon just mentioned that showed up and and took off, and you know you have Zoom. So that there's more there um, that to some extent is is getting um, you know enterprises to understand that if they want to continue to stick to you know, a vendor that they trust, that they already put a lot of, of money into, um, then they need to maybe operate at, at a different pace. Yeah, It'd and be... a lot of businesses are um, uh, are also moving into the cloud, aren't they, where, where platforms are becoming irrelevant, really. <laughs> yeah. You can see there is a change, though, with Microsoft. There's a, there's a, a crack opened in the, the black box that they're in uh, because they're now going to be running uh, one of the devices with Google uh, Android software. So there, there, is a, there is a change uh, in Microsoft's way of working. Oh, definitely. So, yeah, very different company. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of people, and I've said this before, a lot of people who knew who uh, Satya was when he, you know, became um, CEO uh, predicted that there would be big changes. And that because he came from the, I think he came from the, well, he certainly came from the cloud, from the cloud. Yeah. side. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if he was involved with Azure before, but he was certainly, he came from the cloud part and he made it clear right from the start that he wanted to change from the, you know, the previous uh, Windows everywhere strategy that, um, you know, it served Bill Gates very well and Steve Ballmer picked up the ball and ran with Um I think Satya came from, you know, he had a different vision and I've also, I think, a clearer view of where the industry was going. And he said right at the start that he wanted to change the Microsoft strategy from Windows everywhere to Microsoft software on every platform and in the cloud. Mm. And I think that is what, because actually at the end of the Steve Ballmer era, I do think Microsoft was very much starting to go into decline. People were pointing at them and saying, dinosaur, you don't realize you're dead yet. Um, And I think Satya turned that around. I really do. I think he was the right man for the job at the right time. And as Jim has said on the show, and I've agreed with, you know, the Microsoft of today, is a completely different business from the Microsoft 10 years ago and much the better for it, you know, much the better for it. I can look at 10 years ago, I would have looked at Microsoft and said, evil empire, I wish nothing to do with you. Now I look at Microsoft and say, I still might not not necessarily choose you as my platform of choice, but I can look at you and say, this is a company who 
are doing well and are innovating and are keeping their eye on the ball. Whereas 10 years ago, I think they were very much, you know, remembering their victories of the past, as it were. So Yeah, I mean, the, the big miss on mobile was exactly to that point, you know, the fact that they didn't, they really didn't even see it coming because they didn't, they dismissed everything that wasn't a PC and we got to where we got to. Um, and and I totally agree with you if, you if we're looking at, you know, how early they moved into VR and, you know, obviously still very much more of an enterprise um, play, but HoloLens um, has been a, a very good product for them, um, successful in, in an enterprise context and that vision and as... Um, you're pointing out as well about you know having a, a an Android Surface device. They don't call it phone just because they don't want to <laughs> um, <laughs> remind people that um, you know they they did a, an exit. I think there. I but, think if they called it phone, it might actually tarnish it. People would go, yeah. And the last yeah. time I bought a Microsoft phone, I got burned. You know, absolutely. Um, but you know, but but it shows a very different way of thinking and. Uh, um, like you said, they're, they're all the better for it. And I I certainly, you know, I've been working with, with them for a very long time. Um, and uh, it's, it's just quite astonishing how different and, and the people inside are different. Um, you know, there, there's very different mentalities, specifically in the in the surface team. It is the closest thing that I've experienced to Apple from, you know, the love and passion for design, the attention to detail. They might go about things a, a different way, but in, in a lot of ways, actually, they have a very similar uh, end goal. They might just get there in a different way. They've got some really interesting products coming along. Um um, the, the these kind of folding tablets that they're coming out with look quite uh, quite interesting. Um, the the smaller one I can't remember the names of them, but the smaller one that's meant to be the phone. I think yeah, um, I think it's I think duo? it's a bit too big to be a phone. To be honest, yeah, Duo is the phone, and and uh, Neo is the larger one. Yeah, but both devices look quite interesting, especially the Neo. Yeah, I I like the Neo more than I like the Duo simply because um you know the Duo in my view has a little bit of a Samsung Fold Galaxy Fold issue which is is not big enough for me to actually not carry either a larger tablet or a PC and it's mm. too big to be a phone kind of bland, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. And then obviously if you're thinking that's probably going to cost a thousand something dollars um do you really have that extra money to spend for an in-betweener because it's not going to replace something for a lot of people versus the the neo where you know from a from a mobility perspective and the way they redesign the dos and the ui in particular um I, I think that has a lot of potential and then I can see, you know, slightly larger than that. And I see that as being the closest thing to kind of an iPad experience because, you know, Surface, although, uh, again, you know, especially now that iPad Pro has the, the keyboard, you kind of look at them and say, eh, you know, it's kind of the same experience. And there are things that I like about both. I always 
love the Surface Keyboard way more than I uh, like the old um, iPad keyboard. Um, but the you know the the ecosystem is still there's still a difference in between the two, and with a lot of apps now going web and and actually um, you know delivering a good experience through the browser and Microsoft in, investing in Edge. I think there might be something there that, um, you know, in, in that new form factor will give them a little bit more life. Mm, that's an interesting. Well, yeah, the, I, I think we all think that those are interesting. My biggest problem with most, like, you, you, you know, you've pointed to the Galaxy Fold and the, um, uh, the other ones, is that you, at the moment, you know, we are still talking about basically taking a big retrograde step in the screen in order to be able to fold it. You know, you 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 have to go back to sort of flexible plastic and all the problems that go. Oh, with that. these are not so. These are not foldables. No, they so the, these the, have an inch in them. Yes, between. those. I was going to say yeah. the big the big thing about those is that that they are using this clever kind of twin screen technology, yeah. which is something that both uh, Jim and I have in the past said. You know, seems to have a far better, at least at the moment. You know, have a far better future than this kind of flexi. Sure, so you can fold an OLED over, but, you know, how do you make the rest of the phone fold over without it being compromised, which is, you know, um, yeah, a, pro- I, a problem I that they all you. ran into. I think you know. for, for most people... The, the interesting one is yeah. the... What's the larger one called again? Is that the Neo? Neo. Yeah. The, the interesting mm-hmm. thing about that one is, uh, although it's two screens with a hinge there in the middle, um, it also has a magnetic keyboard which yes. just sticks on top of the one of the two screens. And I think it's a better idea than the Apple's answer to the iPad's keyboard. That, that raised rather weird um, floating iPad keyboard that they have now, the, the new one. Um, I don't know, I just feel, I feel that's top-heavy, whereas the, the one that uh, Microsoft's coming out with looks a much better and more balanced uh, product. It, it it is. Um, I played with it for for a little bit. Uh, uh, the the only issue, if you like, if you want to call it an issue, is that you need a surface. It, uh, no pun intended. Actually, you need a place to put mm-hmm. it on. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's the only thing, which was a little bit my complaint about the um, the surface the, the surface design with the kickstand is that. I'm short, so my legs are, don't offer enough real estate <laughs> to put, you know, the, the kickstand open and the keyboard down. Um, so yeah, it, it's always interesting with um, with the designs because I feel a little bit like you uh, for the the new Magic Keyboard for the iPad Pro. I I don't. There are I like the backlit keys is something that I wanted for so long mm-hmm. um, so that now sadly I can work you know from from the bed at night um, without disturbing anybody <laughs> um, you know very sad reasons and you know I was excited to use it on a plane without having to turn the light on and I've not been on a plane since I got it because we're all home <laughs> so that is not very useful at the moment yeah but um, but I agree with you. But I'm still getting used to it. It's still kind of awkward, and I feel like I want to take the iPad off it um, way more than I realize I did. And, mm-hmm. and thinking about it is because before I was just flipping it back and you know and rest it behind it. Um, 
And now is, you know, especially if I'm not actually using the keyboard, if, you know, if I'm reading or watching something, um, the keyboard is still draining part of the battery. Um, and so I just, yeah, it's interesting. Is is I keep on going back and forth on it. I have not quite um quite settled where where I am. And I really looking forward to see, I think uh, Microsoft said the office support for it will come in the fall. And you know, given that's my my main productivity suite, I really will, you know, I'm interested in seeing how they integrate it. Because right now the the UI is kind of weird because some obviously all the Apple stuff is is designed for it, and so you have a decent experience. But other apps, say something as simple as Twitter, um, some things work, some things don't work, and it becomes that kind of frustrating experience because you're still figuring out what works and what doesn't. So you keep on going from using the keyboard to just touching the screen, and it's not as fluid as it could be. Yeah, do you know I, I well, we've often talked about this as well because um, I get the impression Mark, who's not with us today, uh, what he really wants is uh, a device that has all the advantages of a laptop with a detachable screen that is an iPad. Uh, whereas <laughs> Apple have come from the direction of creating an iPad, which they're adding keyboards to to make it more like a laptop. And I think there are definitely a number of Mac users who really would like the other. They'd like the thing that works perfectly as a as a as a laptop yeah uh, but which is also an ipad <laughs> yeah <laughs> but we, yeah but then, i'm off at school that, yes but don't yeah i mean you know manufacturers have been pursuing the two-in-one kind of detachable screen um form factor for years and it it's still at least as far as i'm aware has not really achieved any kind of breakout success um, you no. know more about that than me Carolina. Well, but the, there's no option right right now, and so a lot of the, a lot of the things that you have are either you know two in one hybrid of some sort. Um, what has changed is that generally laptop has have become so much thinner, um, and and a lot of them kind of either kind of go three sixty, and so they fold over. Um, and I, I think the need that we were trying to address back when the, the two-in-one market started was because laptops were much thicker and heavier. And now that is no longer the case. And so with mm. that, I think, you know, people were really wanting something lighter. They didn't want to necessarily... Um, you know, have a detachable. They wanted a detachable because that allowed for a lighter experience. And so the idea that, well, I'm reading a book, I don't need the keyboard, let me detach this so that it's lighter. Now, a lot of, you know, the the, the designs are just so thin that that is no longer a problem. Yes. Yeah, I think that's true. True, indeed. Um, well, time is pressing on, and I don't think we're really going to have time to talk about WWDC, um, unless you have any stunning um, predictions, Carolina, for what we might see other than ARM. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm excited Max. about the watch. Um, there's been a lot of um, talks around uh, uh, the new OS, um, watch OS, uh, and I think it's watch OS 7 by now, uh, and some new features, especially uh, the idea of having uh, kind of a kid 
option uh, for the parent. And unfortunately, that boat sailed for me because my kid now has an iPhone and, you know, she'll <laughs> she'll <laughs> never go back to um, having her watch controlled by by my phone. But it's more the idea of, of what that means. It would be the first time that we have Apple really not seen, well, you know, if you want the device, you're going to have to get your own kind of thing. Um, and so, you know, if you want to watch, you need to get an iPhone. Um, and and uh, and looking at really the opportunity that that opens up for watch um, to get into kind of younger users and and uh, if a if this is all true because obviously right now is is all rumors i think that there's an interesting opportunity that i'm sure apple is thinking about um as kids go back to school and i wrote about this last week about the, the growing importance of wearables in a kind of a covid 19 um moment uh, which is that wearables can actually help us keep safe, not just from a contact tracing perspective, but, you know, there, there could be some interesting opportunity for um, apps to actually let you know if you're too close to somebody and, uh, you know, how in a, in a school or, or work environment you keep with your uh, social distancing um, uh, length of, you know, distance that you need to keep. So it'll be interesting. As far as I know, uh, the watch is not compatible with an Android phone. Do you think Apple cool. might actually finally make it um, compatible? Because <laughs> it would open uh, up the market. Yeah, I you know there are a few things that that um, you know that if they did that uh, you know everybody would be happy. But I don't know. I think mm. that you know the the their thinking is still um, that they want you know if they opened it up to be used with an Android phone that would take away control from a whole bunch of different things, including privacy. Um, and uh, I think that's, um, I, I don't see them kind of budge on that. Mm. I'm quite looking forward to the, um, the rumored um, uh, foldable screen on the, um, on the watch so you can fold it out into an iPad. <laughs> and then the flip down, flip down keyboard, so I can turn it into a laptop. <laughs> and you can have three cameras so that you can Absolutely. do depth sensing and do AR. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> and who's going to be buying the um, rumoured uh, glasses? Yeah. Ah, well, that's another thing entirely. Yes, I think it's too early, but yeah. yeah, there's a. I mean, more and more people are saying 2021, which is uh, a year earlier than most people were were focusing on. You know, the the initial uh, kind of first rumor was uh, 2022, and uh, and now more and more people are pointing to next year, which which would be extremely interesting. Yeah, it would very much. Mm. Something that we're very, you know, we're quite interested in. Some of the, Jim, Jim is not so keen. I'm fascinated, and Nick is intrigued. I think is probably how you yes. describe it. Um, yeah. I, I think a lot of, I think there's a lot of wish projection going on though about the Apple glasses. People are projecting. Some people are projecting, you know, proposals which I think are a long way in the future. And I'm pretty sure that Apple will, if and when they launch such a product, like the, you know, initial Apple Watch, it will not do, 
you know, a vast array of things. It will focus on a few simple things and attempt to do them very well. And then they will yeah. iterate from there. That's my that's my opinion. I think it will do very I, simple things to start with. Yeah, I agree. I think that is, um, you know, is one of those markets where uh, because people don't know what to expect, you really need to wow uh, so that you lock them in and then you build from there. So focusing on, on a few things and do them well um, I think will will serve them better than not trying to be too many things at once. But I would say similarly to the iPhone, to the sorry Apple Watch, they might not get it right the first time around. If you look at you know when when Apple Watch started and when we landed now, is a very different place. Um, you know, if even just from a marketing perspective, it, it was about jewelry and it was about design and, and trying to kind of play down a little bit the tech side of things. And and then it became, you know, more and more popular as Apple kind of drilled down into health and, and, and fitness, but particularly health, um, making it more of a, a kind of a need device than want device because it makes a difference in your life and i think that's i I wouldn't be surprised if we have a similar journey on uh, on the glasses because they might have a vision and then you know the market doesn't respond to it you know they're so different um and there isn't there isn't something out there that has proved to be particularly popular yeah other maybe you know the, the quest but that's a different idea viewers are just starting now um you know qualcomm has been powering quite a few different options it'd be interesting how they do you know like now that we're all dealing with less and less cables and here we are with something that is going to be tethered to the phone and how they're going to do that is going to be really interesting mm. yes very much so. Very much. Well, uh, Carolina, um, you told me you could spare an hour, and we've had an hour, so um, I do not wish to make you late for whatever important meeting you have next. <laughs> I'm sure you have. I appreciate you, know... you guys having me. Well, thank you nice very much for you. coming on. Um, and yeah, I, uh, I'm sure your next Zoom call is for probably far more high-powered and uh, world-influencing than talking to us. But uh... oh no, it was it's a pleasure, and I I'm glad that I met um, Jim and um, and I missed Nick. Nick. That's Nick. it. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, Nick. Not Alan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, also known as Alan. Uh, that's an in joke. <laughs> that's an in joke. Uh, right. Well, news uh, guys. All right. So, Carolina, what we normally do now is ask you to uh, basically just uh, give a shout out to places the listeners can find your work Ooh. around the internet. So you can find me most often on uh, Tech Pinions. Uh, you can find me on Twitter under Caro, C-A-R-O underscore Milanesi, M-I-L-A-N-E-S-I. And if you are interested in kind of uh, social responsibility, diversity in tech and education, I have a column uh, on Forbes Tech uh, where I write about you know, technology and society and um, maybe a bit more um, what's in it for us as human being kind of stories. And on my website at The Heart of Tech. 
Excellent. Right, I will. Um, right, I'll add that heart of tech. I will add that to your bio in the show notes. And thank you so much for joining us. Um, thank you so much. That's all right. That's fine. We'll let you go. Um, and I think, guys, we'll take a five-minute break for uh, Nemo, who has returned with his store. Uh, and this week has a very special cycle helmet to tell us about. So uh, take it away, John. Nemo's hardware store is pleased to introduce to the world the R1 Evo. That's the letter R and the number one Evo, E-V-O, from Senna.com, S-E-N-A. It's a premier cycling helmet with technological advancements. I agree with that. Brand new, just been released. It'll be available soon in your country. Premium helmet because of the features. It's well-constructed, easy to adjust and fit. Comes in two sizes, medium and large. I got both sizes to review, and the medium is a little bit better for my head. So my buddy with a large cranium is reviewing the other one. I'm reviewing the medium white one, and he'll be reviewing the large black one. There are adhesive tabs that allow you to put the sun visor on the front. So I did that. That helped a little bit with the glare. It'd be nice if that sun visor was a little bit longer. You charge up the battery in the helmet using the USB micro cable. There's a thorough multi-language printed manual that comes on little cards with an O-ring. So you can just detach the language of your choice and carry that along with you. Very nice touch. There's also a full version of that on the internet. Using it is a little geeky and a little techy, so you won't really get it at first, but after you try it a few times, you'll understand how it works. I'll explain that in a second. Everything is controlled from the left side of your head, and just above the ridge of the bottom of the helmet on the left side, there are three large rubberized buttons. And depending on which button you press and which sequence and for how many seconds, you can get it to do 101 different things. To get it to connect easily to Bluetooth and the iPhone or Spotify and stuff like that, that just takes a couple of seconds. I did that twice so far, and the connection is excellent. There are voice prompts that confirm and help you, and you'll learn all this stuff after using it a few times. You can do volume up and down, forward and reverse, and other multi-button stuff that you'll figure out. The sound for playback of audio is very, very crisp. The audio spectrum is anchored in the mid-range, so there's no bass to speak of and not a ton of treble either. But the sound from the Senna R1 Evo is it's really crisp and bright and clean. There are red rear flashers that are easy to start. It's not quite as bright as a special battery-powered flasher, but in the nighttime, you'll be easy to see with the red flashers. The push buttons on the left side are very responsive. And even though you won't figure out at first which ones to push in what order, by the time you figure it out after a couple of rides, it's no big deal. Yesterday I tested it with my large-headed friend Jim, and he wore the black helmet. This is not Mac Jim from Scotland. This is Guitar Jim from Tucson, Arizona. And Jim was able to get as far as a half a mile away from me using the mesh voice communicator, which is really the big selling feature because there are other helmets that have speakers for listening to music using Bluetooth. But the Senna R1 Evo uses the company's motorcycle technology, so it's totally hands-free, microphone-free, headphone-free communication with your buddy, and you can have several people riding in quite a long stretch 
because the mesh extends the range. Jim and I just did it for the two of us, and we had a really nice conversation riding over 12 miles up and back on the beautiful Loop Trail in Tucson, Arizona, with the terrible forest fires just off to the east of us. Senna provides an app for the iPhone, and there's also a Hey Senna feature that I haven't tested. So this is going to be part one of a two-part coverage, R1 Evo Premier Cycling Helmet with technological advancements. The helmet part of the helmet is really impressive. This is a whole other level of helmet protection and technology for music listening and for the mesh voice communication. It's really an intercom or a walkie-talkie, but you're just talking. And I'll explain the questions that I had in part two after I play around with their app and some of their other features. So that's it for this Nemo's Hardware Store. It is an honor and a delight to be the first podcaster to have the opportunity to test the R1 Evo helmet from SENASanta.com. I know we have a lot of fitness people in our Slack group and on our listening group. And see what you think of this, if this is something you want to save up for. But so far, it's worth it. Back next week. And thank you for that, John. And John has pointed out to me that the helmet price is apparently $159 US. and hopefully we will have uh, full links and availability to go in the show notes. And if not, just keep your eye out for the Senna R1 Evo if you are interested in that. Time to wrap up, I guess. Jim, do you want to start? Yeah, you can find me in the Slack group um, on Flickr as the SRPS Paint Shop. And I'm the administrator of the uh, Essential Apple uh, Flickr group. And I'm also on Vimeo, but you're best looking at the show notes for the, for that link. <laughs> yes, yes. Or just search for uh, James T. Ormiston uh, on Vimeo, and that will find him. Um, but the link will be in the show notes. Uh, Nick? Uh, yeah, you can find me very occasionally on Twitter. Um, I actually tweeted something not long ago, which was a, a real revelation. Um, but uh, my uh, username is Spligosh, S-P-L-I-G-O-S-H. And you can hear me occasionally on Bart's Let's Talk Apple. Excellent. Um, I, of course, can be found on the Twitter as at Serenak, and that's S-E-R-E-N-A-K. Um, I probably don't say this enough, but be warned, there's an awful lot of politics, humour, satire, and general jabber on there it's not all uh, apple stuff um and this is the point i suppose i should say uh, thank you to all of you who listen thank you to those of you who support us um whether that's financially via you know uh, patreon or the pinecast tips jar or if it's simply by uh, retweeting our you know shows uh, promoting our show to other people all the rest somebody send us some reviews and we'll read them out um that's probably about it. All of the stuff for the show is, of course, over on the website at essentialapple.com. And I think for now, that's all. So we look forward to seeing you all again next week. Cheerio, all. Cheerio. Bye. 
You've been listening to the Essential Apple Podcast. And I'd like to say if you enjoy the show and would like to support us, feel free to go over to the website essentialapple.com and you will find links to both Patreon and the Pinecast Tips Jar, where you can make a donation towards the costs of the show. Uh, Or even if you're really keen, you could set up a recurring payment. And thank you very, very much to all the people who already do support us. We really do appreciate you very much indeed. This show is, of course, part of the My Mac Podcasting Network, where you can find a variety of other shows like the My Mac Podcast with Guy and Gaz, the G-Men, Tech Fan with Tim and David, the Nintendo Club Podcast, the Geekiest Show Ever, the Three Geeky Ladies, uh, Bart Shots and his wonderful Let's Talk Apple, and possibly some more that I forgot. So why not go over to mymac.com, take a look at the available podcast, and take a listen. Arizona is never late, Frederick Beggins. Was he early? He arrives precisely when he means to. And usually listening to the Tech Fan Podcast with Tim Robertson and David Cohen. We hope you enjoyed the show and we look forward to you joining us again another time. Until then, goodbye.